Hi, and welcome to Prevent This, a podcast of your choice, where we cover everything substance abuse related from prevention to treatment to recovery and everything in between. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of a doctor or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding mental health, addiction, or substance abuse. Ashley here with Your Choice, and for the past year, we have been hosting webinars. And last summer, we invited Dr. Amos uh, to present on vaping. And so in this podcast, we want to share that webinar with you. Uh, She talks about the basics of vaping, how it became popular among youth, the health risks linked with vaping, and the vaping-associated lung injury epidemic. Um, Dr. Amos is a pediatric pulmonologist and sleep medicine physician who has been on staff at Children's Wisconsin for 10 years. She and her colleagues were actively involved in caring for the teens who were admitted to the hospital two summers ago Um, with lung injury associated with vaping. Since then, Dr. Amos has participated in educational panels locally and nationally discussing the dangers of e-cigarette use in children and public advocacy efforts to protect children from these dangers. Please welcome Dr. Amos. I'm Luella Amos. I am a pediatric pulmonologist and sleep physician at Children's Wisconsin. Um, And I was very involved in... um, Pretty much getting this out to the public about the vaping epidemic and the lung disease associated with it last summer. So I'm really happy to be able to, to speak with you all um, and um, Your Choice is an amazing organization and I'm honored to have been chosen to give this talk. Any luck? Okay, well, maybe I'll just get started. Um, So I will be talking about the vaping epidemic overall in adolescence that has been um, pretty much out there since the mid, I don't know, 2010s, if that's even a, a term. So 2014-15 was when the surge definitely started in, in, in children. Um, but to understand this epidemic, you kind of have to understand the history of tobacco um, and the use of tobacco. So in the late 19th century, non-combustible tobacco was the most popular form of tobacco used. It was chewing tobacco and snuff. Um, and then in 1913, the first cigarette was introduced. Um, you'll, you know, you, you may have seen pictures of Joe Camel. Um, that was a, a very popular image. Um, and then in, um, over the next several decades, we started to see all of the harms and the dangers to, to health related to cigarette use. Um, the tobacco industry, unfortunately, long knew of tobacco's harm and the addictiveness of, na- of nicotine, covered it up and misled the public, intentionally marketing also to youth. So in 1998, there was a tobacco industry settlement in which the tobacco industry had to pay billions of dollars um, to 46 states to recover the cost of smoking-related disease. And they also had to end um, certain marketing practices. So for example, sorry, let me say. 
Okay, so this is kind of a, an advertisement where if you're cool, you smoke. If you're handsome, you smoke. If you're pregnant, you smoke, apparently. And then doctors smoke, so it must be fine. So obviously all of this is wrong um, and they were, um, they were not allowed to, to market this way. Oops, sorry, let me go back. Um, then in 2007, e-cigarettes entered the market. Um, they were marketed as a smoking cessation aid. Um, however, it skyrocketed in popularity among the population that probably never smoked a cigarette, and that was the adolescent population. In 2009, there was this Family Smoking Prevention and Tobacco Control Act, the FSPTCA, which gave the FTA purview over the marketing, distribution, sale, um, et cetera, of, of tobacco products. However, at this time, e-cigarettes were not considered a tobacco product. Um, and so they were, they were not regulated. So essentially, there was no FDA authorized or FDA approved e-cigarette market uh, product in the market by the time they were already in the market. In 2014, e-cigarettes were the most frequently used tobacco product by youth. In 2015, um, Juul entered the retail market and were the most popular product used by youth. Finally, in 2016, the deeming rule was in effect in which e-cigarettes, among other tobacco products, were considered to be a tobacco product. And so then, retrospectively, the FDA had to approve these products. However, they've already been in the market, as you know, for, for years. So, um, so these manufacturers then had to come up with a pre-market tobacco um, authorization or application to have their product sort of more um, regulated and more um, reviewed. Um, but again, it's, it's retrospective. And this deadline for submission was in May 2020. However, of course, with the pandemic, um, there has probably been some distraction from, from this process. So now that we know that there are these products out there that are not FDA regulated, what are they? Um, they are electronic nicotine delivery systems. Um, they contain a battery which then is activated to heat a coil or an atomizer, which then heats up an e-liquid in a reservoir or a tank. And um, there's a mouthpiece on the device in which you can um, inhale the aerosolized liquid. Um, there's also a sensor or user actuated button to activate this coil. This is a traditional cigarette. This is a first generation cigarette, uh, e-cigarette, excuse me. It resembles, sorry, it resembles a, um, a traditional cigarette, um, but it's also disposable and reloadable. Um, so the next generation um, is the second generation e-cigarettes. And these are also known as vapes or vape pens. Um, they have refillable reservoirs. Um, and these are actually the e-cigarettes that have been used to, to vape THC. These are third generation e-cigarettes um, and they're also known as mods or tank systems because you can modify the wattage or the voltage of the device. And then fourth generations in general um, don't resemble traditional cigarettes. Um, this is an example. Um, so Juul um, is, a, is a device that it was very popular or is very popular among teens. 
Um, let me see if you can see this. So this is the, the pod that contains the, the e-liquid. You can charge the e-cigarette with a USB port attached to a, a computer. These are also some other examples where you can attach the, um, the device, the e-cigarette device uh, to a phone, so ease of use. You can inhale through the, um, the laces of a, of a sweatshirt. And ironically, they can look like albuterol inhalers. What is in the e-liquid that's um, aerosolized? So there are two vehicles or humectants. One of them is propylene glycol and the other one is vegetable glycerin. Um, and they also often contain a mind altering substance such as nicotine, um, which is derived from tobacco, THC, CBD, methamphetamine. Um, and just a little bit of verbiage here or some, some terminology. Carts refer to cartridges containing cannabis oils. DAB is concentrated cannabis and can be vaporized using a modified vape pen. So if you're dabbing, you're vaping concentrated cannabis. And then dripping is putting drops of e-liquid directly onto an atomizer's coil and immediate, immediately inhaling the vapor that's produced. In addition to those components, there are thousands of flavorings that have been um, out there. Um, we don't really know exactly the effects of these flavorings. We know that we can actually orally consume them safely, but if they're heated up and inhaled, the toxicological information is not available and it seems like it's actually quite harmful. So if you look at the components of the fruity flavors, they tend to con contain benzaldehyde. The cinnamon flavors contain cinnamaldehyde. Um, we have heard of maybe diacetyl, which has caused popcorn lung um, in, in um, uh, factory popcorn workers. Um, acetone can be also in the buttery flavors. Um, and the different flavors that are available include menthol, fruits, desserts, candy, soda. Um, they're varying ingredients. Again, this is not an FDA regulated product, so we don't really know the ingredients in each, um, in each device. If you ever purchased an e-liquid or if you've ever looked at a device, you really don't know what is in it unlike you know foods so you can see every ingredient in there if you have a food allergy or something like that you will not know exactly what is in each e-liquid because it's not listed. Jewel pods um, actually contain a discrete amount of e-liquid so they contain less than one milliliter of liquid but they can range in two different concentrations so three percent is 35 milligrams per milliliter of nicotine and then five percent is a higher concentration of 59 milligrams per milliliter of nicotine and in general the nicotine concentration in one pod is approximately one pack of cigarettes if you talk to any teenager they can actually um, inhale or use two to three pods in one day So why were we so obsessed with Juul? Well, in 2018, they had over 50% of the e-cigarette market, and that's increased to 70, over 75% um, over the next several months in 2018. This is a very um, attractive device for adolescents because it has a sleek design, it's easy to hide at school and at home. Parents at the time had no idea what it was. You could recharge it with a USB port wherever you were. Um, and the thing is, it has a high nicotine concentration. I already told you how much each pod contains, and you can get a you know, huge buzz um, with just one pod and, and use multiple in one day. The one thing about Juul also is that they have a patented nicotine salt. Um, it's called nicotine benzoate. 
And what it does is it can penetrate the lungs, which is a perfect organ for inhaling nicotine, large surface area. And so you can get a lot of nicotine into the lungs, primarily because you don't get that throat burning as you do with free-based nicotine. That salt actually allows you to sort of inhale deeper and get more into the lungs. So it was a, a very attractive product for, for our teens. Oops. What did I do here? Sorry. Oh gosh. Let me undo that. Uh, there we go. Oh boy. I got too excited. Oh, undo that. There we go. Oh, I love Zoom. Okay. Um, so in 2018, uh, there's a national youth tobacco survey, um, and what they showed was that there was a 78% increase in e-cigarette use in high school students um, over one year from 11.7% to 20.8%. And then in middle school students, it increased from 3.3% to 4.9%. So when you kind of do the math, there were approximately 4 million middle school and high school students who reported on the survey having used an e-cigarette over the past 30 days. Now these surveys also have to kind of keep in mind, it's a random sample of students who may or may not answer truthfully. So to be honest, if you ask any teenager, they know fewer people who don't vape than they do, um, than they know who do vape. So there's just a, um, it's alarming these numbers, but the truth of the matter is there might be even more and I would assume that there are more, more students vaping. 2019, it continued to rise from 3.6 million high school and middle school students to more than 5 million middle school and high school students who reported vaping over the, the past 30 days. So we were already way behind uh, the eight ball. This is just another chart showing this increase in, um, in e-cigarette use from the 20-ish percent in high school students to 27.5% from the 4.9% of middle school students to 10.5%. Um, and then if you look at the cigarette use or the traditional combustible tobacco use, um, it's it stayed pretty level and actually is on its way down. Um, and that's a win. However, we're kind of losing the battle against e-cigarette use. Okay. Um, in Wisconsin, we also do a youth tobacco survey, um, and in 2018, it showed very similar results. Um, from 2014 to 2018, there was an increase to 20.1% in high school students. The most interesting thing in this slide, though, is that 89% stated they would not use an unflavored tobacco product. Middle school students, again, the same numbers you can see here, 4.1% of students of middle school students in 2018 reported using e-cigarettes, um, and 95% said they would not use an unflavored product. So then why are children using e-cigarettes? Those past two slides were kind of a good segue to this one. Um, the majority report these appealing flavors being one of the draws to e-cigarette use. In 2016, the National Youth Tobacco Survey asked for more details and they reported, um, the users reported that, you know, about a third of, a third of them had a friend or a family member who was using e-cigarettes. Um, the flavors made them also want to use e-cigarettes and then a good per percentage also thought they were less harmful uh, and it wouldn't be a bad thing. 
Um, these are some of the, the marketing strategies that the FDA was concerned about. Um, you can see on the left is the e-liquid and on the right is the candy. There are a lot of similarities. There's a soda on the right, Fanta, and then the e-liquid on the left looking very similar. And then unicorns. Unicorns were a very popular theme and still is, I think, that and sloths, I believe. Um, and so obviously if you're, if you're kind of advertising a theme that's very popular among youth, you're gonna attract the youth. So these were some of the examples of, of the concerns that the FDA had on the marketing practices of, our, uh, of the e-cigarette manufacturers. I also had the opportunity to ask some of my, my patients um, and some teenagers why and how they got started using e-cigarettes. So how did they first get their first e-cigarette? Um, well, they had friends who were at least 18 years of age, so they could purchase it legally. Um, and some of them were willing to give up their old vapes because they got new ones, kind of like old shoes. You, go, you, know, you get your new shoes and you give your younger, one, you know, your younger siblings your old shoes. Um, if you look old enough, aren't scared, you know, have that look and you get lucky, you go to the right store, um, you could probably get um, vapes at, at particular you know, gas stations or, or retail shops. Why are they vaping? Well, teens aren't attracted to the traditional cigarettes because they stink. They smell and it gives you away. But vapes, they smell, they taste better. You can hide it. It's less harsh on your throat. Um, they think it's better for them. And then they like that nicotine buzz. How do they start vaping? Friends, a lot of peer pressure or just curiosity. Um, so they saw that their friends enjoyed it and they tried it and they enjoyed it and they started actually doing it more at school because that's where they could get the stuff. But once they got addicted, um, they needed to do it at home as well. So let's talk about nicotine addiction. Nicotine is one of the most addictive substances, if not the most addictive substance out there. Even just intermittent monthly smoking can increase your, your likelihood of developing dependence to the nicotine. I already mentioned the lungs are a perfect surface area, the huge organ that can absorb a lot of nicotine and it gets really quick. You know, once you inhale it, it goes to the brain within seven seconds. It goes straight to your blood circulation, bypasses the liver and hits the brain. So then you get that buzz and then just this buzz reinforces the use and, and leads to this addictiveness. These are some symptoms that I always bring up with some of my patients and just in general, you know, um, physicians, pediatricians also are aware of these symptoms, but it's important for kids to know they're probably experiencing withdrawal. Um, so headaches, irritability, anxiety, dif difficulty concentrating, restlessness, tremor, sweating, dizziness, hunger. Um, this can be felt the next morning, you know, because you've had about at least eight hours of not using an e-cigarette. So you can develop withdrawal symptoms within that period of time and they need the e-cigarette hit to feel normal and to function normally at school. Other than nicotine addiction, how are e-cigarettes harmful? Um, well, there's a lot of research going on, and so they're looking at all the different, um, I guess, decomposition products and, and all of the ingredients that they know of in these um, e-cigarettes. And so what they've found is that decomposing um, propylene glycol and glycerol um, so heating it up and, and aerosolizing it, you release formaldehyde, which is used to embalm dead bodies, acetaldehyde, which is a toxic substance, and acetone, um, which is known to remove nail polish. Um, so these are also known as volatile organic compounds. 
Um, heavy metal particles are also released into the aerosol because of that heavy me that metal coil um, that is used to heat up the e-liquid. Um, and some studies have shown that you know, people who use e-cigarettes actually, you can detect nicotine, that makes sense, in their urine, but you can also detect metals and these volatile organic compounds in their liver, or sorry, in their, in their urine, excuse me. Um, and so this just kind of shows that your body is accepting these, these, um, these foreign substances, metabolizing them um, and trying to get rid of them. Interestingly, a study looked at the urine concentration of nicotine in adolescents using Juul versus smoking cigarettes. And the Juul users had a higher urine cotinine concentration. Cotinine is a metabolite of nicotine. Um, so obviously the nicotine content is higher in, in these devices. Um, let me see here. Okay, so how are e-cigarettes harmful? Other than what I already mentioned, um, the fourth generation e-cigarettes that I have mentioned um, are, excuse me, let me just see if I can, are you all seeing all of us on this screen? Just trying to, sorry. I just realized that you might be seeing all of us. I'll move a, that. Okay, so um, in 2019, um, there was a study that looked at fourth generation e-cigarette vaping, and they found that it causes lung inflammation and gas exchange disturbances, whether or not you use um, e-cigarettes that contain nicotine. So there could be, um, I guess, e-cigarettes that contain nicotine um, or, or e-liquids that don't contain nicotine. And whether or not you use either of those, you will still see these changes in the lungs. So they were able to enroll about 20-ish adult patients who were healthy, and they had them what they call sham vape. So they vaped really nothing. They vaped an e-liquid without nicotine, and they vaped an e-liquid um, e with nicotine. And what you can see is there's this serum marker, um, CC16, which is released when there's lung injury. And there was really no significant change at baseline compared to 30 minutes after sham vaping. But then um, when they vaped without nicotine, there was an increase in this inflammatory marker. Um, and then when you vaped with nicotine, again, there was a, a difference um, within 30 minutes of vaping in terms of this inflammatory marker in the lungs. This um, diagram shows a decrease in oxygen tension um, that's measured um, in the study. And when patients or when the subjects sham vape, there was no change. But within 10 minutes, there was significant decline in oxygen um, content. Within um, 10 minutes in the, with, with vaping with nicotine group, and then without nicotine, there was also a decrease. And this effect persisted for approximately one to one and a half hours after vaping. And this is just one episode of vaping. And this is just a summary slide of all of the different findings associated with e-cigarettes. So the lungs are one component, but the lungs are part of an airway. Um, and so we have to kind of keep in mind that there are other parts of the airway that can be affected, like the, you know, the bronchi, uh, the trachea, the nasal um, air, airways. There are these little hairs in the airway called cilia that are important for immune resistance. Um, it kind of filters out um, foreign um, particles. It also helps 
propel mucus up so that we can get rid of the, the viruses and anything that's kind of captured on this cilia. Um, we also have increased mucus production um, when you use e-cigarettes. There are um, changes in the, the blood vessels in the lungs. Um, and so in you know, not just the, the lungs themselves, but the, the airways, the blood vessels, all of it can be affected by e-cigarette use. So kind of switching gears, um, I'm gonna talk about vaping cannabis since that seemed to be sort of a hot topic as well earlier this fall. Um, this is the vape pen, the, vape pen, the second generation e-cigarette um, that is usually used to vape THC. Um, cannabis is not known to be as addicting as nicotine, but there still is a 9% risk of dependence. Um, and people often notice that they need more THC, more cannabis to develop that high um, with chronic use. We do know that there's altered brain development. So there's significant deficit, deficits in learning new skills, working memory and attention if you are a chronic cannabis user. Butane hash oil is a concentrated version of THC that is vaped and the THC content can be above 60%. In fact, the total THC that has been recovered in the lungs, about 75.5%, um, can never be achieved by smoking marijuana with a you know, joint or a blunt. When smoking a joint, there's further losses in THC likely due to the side stream smoke. So the effects that you get from vaping cannabis is very different from what you can get with you know, the combustible marijuana smoking. And this high lung availability of THC is likely the cause of increased psychoactive and adverse effects like the vomiting, the nausea, the toxicity actually related to vaping THC. Um, I have heard, you know, even people who, who vape THC that they and have smoked marijuana in the past, they don't like it. They don't like vaping THC because they get way too high, way too fast and, and they're done. You know, they can't even hang anymore with their friends. So, um, so it's a very potent way to vape THC, or to, to, um, to consume cannabis. Um, and this is a known um, syndrome, cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome, where you have nausea, vomiting, abdominal pain, um, if you get too much into your system and you're not used to it. Other concerns about vaping cannabis um, is the pesticides and fungicides um, that are used to grow the cannabis, you don't know how much of it is washed off and cleaned off of the, um, the plant. And so you could actually be inhaling some of this if you're vaping it. The chemical solvents also to create the concentrates contain some stuff that you probably should not heat up and inhale. We already talked about the flavors. Um, and then finally, um, something I'll talk a little bit more is the cutting agents or vitamin E acetate, which is a, a substance that was used to dilute THC oil um, and to kind of, I guess, have a to make a profit off of selling THC. Vitamin E acetate um, was a very, um, a very good uh, diluent. Um, it, it has a, the similar or almost identical viscosity to, to, to THC oil. So it was a great candidate to dilute and to make a profit off of THC oil sales, especially in the black market. Um, it was found in 94% of lung fluid in patients with the vaping related lung injury. Um, and was seen in no patients who had this procedure done, um, but who did not have the vaping related lung injury. So it was very associated with the lung injury associated with e-cigarette use. 
We all know that vitamin E acetate is safe for oral consumption um, and for topical use on the skin and lotions, um, but clearly it's not a good idea to, to inhale it. And some studies have suggested several hypotheses. One of them is that it affects surfactant function. Surfactant is something that's very important in the lung for immune function, for expansion of the lung, so that we can oxygenate and ventilate well. Um, and so if you affect that, you affect a very important function of the lung. Um, in addition, heating vitamin E acetate creates this lung irritant called heating, which can compound the effects of this, um, this product. But in general, kind of going back to the fact that these devices and the e-liquids have not been regulated, it's very difficult to research this because there's such a range of devices. There's a rapid change in nomenclature. There's a rapid change in the substances being used. People are selling them, making them. Um, and, and there's also YouTube videos out there to show you how to modify your devices. So we really have no idea what people are doing out there. We're just trying our best to figure out why it's harming them. So now I'll go into what we saw last July in terms of the adverse effects of e-cigarette use. Um, on July 10th, 2019, Children's Wisconsin reported to the Department of Health Services five previously healthy teens who presented to our hospital in severe respiratory distress. Um, and the one thing that kind of um, linked them all was e-cigarette use. By July 25th, 2019, there were already eight teenagers who were admitted with the same clinical picture. Um, and so the Department of Health Services then issued an alert to the entire state of Wisconsin to keep an eye out for other patients who may present with this kind of these symptoms and to let the public health authorities know so that we can um, combine all of our information, figure out what's going on. Is this a local problem? Is there someone selling bad stuff out there? And then of course, Children's had our news conference um, alerting the, the public through the media about this phenomenon. Soon after that, um, other states, other places were reporting cases um, of, of, of lung injury associated with e-cigarette use. Um, and by August 2nd, there were already 11 teenagers um, who had been admitted to our hospital. Unfortunately, by August 20th, um, the first death was reported in Illinois. Since then, every Thursday, um, there was an update on the CDC website in terms of the number of cases. Obviously, with the pandemic, um, the CDC has been preoccupied with other things to report on their website. So the last report is as of February 18, 2020, there were over 2,800 hospitalized e-cigarette-related um, lung injury cases with 68 deaths in 29 states. All states have had cases, including Hawaii and Alaska and 15% of these patients were under age 18, and this amounts to over 400 um, kids who were affected. This is just a map showing all the states that were involved and the number of cases in each state. Again, you can access this on the CDC website. Um, so what were we seeing? The patients that came in um, for months had some nonspecific symptoms like fever, night sweats, fatigue, um, and then they also had GI symptoms like abdominal pain, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, um, and they lost you know, up to 40 pounds over that period of time. But what really brought them into the hospital were the respiratory symptoms, cough, chest pain, shortness of breath, 
but usually they did not have any nasal symptoms suggestive of a cough or URI or upper respiratory infection. Um, so a lot of times it was kind of the lower airway symptoms that brought them in and the inability to breathe. Um, when we got into their clinical history and their social history, found out they were using e-cigarettes for several months, um, two weeks prior to presentation at the hospital. Um, and when we asked about the products they were using, they reported using nicotine products, THC products, CBD, CBD oil, um, and often a combination of all of these. This is a chest CT, a front view of a patient who had an inhalation injury. And what you can see is that there's a lot of white here when it should be black, because black is air. And this patient unfortunately also had bleeding in the lungs related to the lung injury. We also performed bronchoscopy on some of the patients to make sure that they didn't have any infection going on. And you can see significant lung inflammation. The airways look very inflamed and, and angry. Um, some of them looked pale, but had these little punctate, maybe hemorrhages in the airways. And then this, I don't know if you can see it because I can't, but um, I'll move over. Um, there's frank blood in the airway. Our patients were either hospitalized on the general floors or the intensive care unit, depending on the amount of respiratory support they needed. And this ranged from oxygen to mechanical ventilation. Um, and the treatment depended on, I guess, the severity of their illness. They always got steroids. Um, but the route and the, the amount of steroids depended on their clinical picture. So we either gave them by mouth or gave it IV depending on if they needed uh, a ventilator to help them breathe. Um, and so that we have enough time for questions, um, I will end with this slide. This is a phenomenon um, that is out there. It's called the adolescent health paradox. And what it means is, is that adolescents are at their prime. They are physically and cognitively at their peak, essentially. However, their mortality rates increased by 200%. And why is this? Multiple reasons. There's, there's mental health, there's substance abuse, there's motor vehicle collisions, there's risk-taking behaviors. Um, but e-cigarettes have just kind of exacerbated this, this paradox. Um, and I think it's a preventable, it's a preventable factor in this paradox that I think we owe it to our teenagers, our kids, to, to not allow this to be the accepted norm for them. Um, and I think that's pretty much it. Thank you. So what I'll do is I will stop sharing or I'll look at the questions and answers. Questions actually. make sure I have everything. Okay, so there is one question. Since smoking pot will not kill a person outright, but it was associated with a percentage of deaths and hospitalizations, isn't the delivery system still to blame? It felt as though the content of THC was a red herring to divert from the blame on vaping devices. Um, I have to agree with that. Um, yeah, people have been obviously smoking pot and consuming THC in, in various ways. Um, but there was something very different about these devices um, and the diluent, because it sounds like there was something in the vitamin E acetate that was causing the lung injury. Um, so I agree. I, I don't think 
THC is the only thing to, to blame. Um, it may have sped up the process because as you know, uh, combustible tobacco smoking caused um, severe lung injury, but it took decades to really develop that. Um, but this happened within a period of months to years um, in, in some of these patients. Um, does the lung injury make people more vulnerable to the effects of COVID-19? That's a very good question. Um, so what I can speak to is specifically the, what we're seeing in kids. So children have luckily been spared the respiratory complications associated with COVID-19. Um, it's been relatively quiet, um, but there is this mysterious inflammatory syndrome that's associated with COVID-19 in our kids. Um, so when you kind of go back to that slide, looking at the effects of vaping and vaping THC and vaping in general, there is lung inflammation. So we're creating an inflammatory state in the lungs. And the, the last thing you really want to do is to be at a disadvantage going into this pandemic. You know, the COVID, the, the virus is out there. And the last thing you want to do is to be vulnerable to it. Um, and so I think we, in general, have to promote healthy habits um, so that we can kick this virus. We all are sick of it. I am. <laughs> all right. Um, is there any type of vaping liquid that has 0% nicotine in them? I personally have not found one. Um, I think some people have, you know, the adults who have tried to use it maybe to quit smoking, they have been able to figure out a way to not have nicotine and try to wean off of that. But commercially, I, I haven't been able to find one. Um, I may not be looking hard enough, but, um, but I have heard that they are not easily found and, and they may not exist, but I have not, um, I can't really say for sure 100%. Let me just see if I've answered everything. Okay, how many will have to die and be hospitalized before the FDA begins to regulate this product? What is the tipping point? Um, that's a very good question. I don't know. Um, what I can say is that there has been some legislation um, trying to regulate the, I guess the access in our children um, to these devices. Obviously adults can get them whenever. But um, there is legislation out there, Tobacco 21, to raise the age of tobacco products from age 18 to 21. Um, if you kind of think about those questions I asked my patients, um, they were able to get the devices because they know 18-year-olds. I mean, a freshman will know a senior, and there are a lot of seniors that are 18 years of age, so they will have access to these devices, and they can be hand-me-downs, too. Um, so we're hoping that that can help. They're also trying to enforce um, enforce policies about the flavorings um, and that May 2020 deadline again, I, it, it was there. Um, actually, to be honest, before last year, last summer's um, events with, with all the lung injury, um, that deadline was going to be August 2022, um, but that was bumped up to May 2020. Um, but unfortunately, there's just been too much going on for us to know exactly where things are at in terms of the authorization and, and the submission of applications by the manufacturers. Um, this is Denise. I just have a question. I'm unable to access my Q&A or chat. 
Um, I did have a couple of questions I put in chat because I couldn't access the Q&A. So if you could reference those, please. Absolutely. Okay. Sorry, my face is right in you. <laughs> uh, okay. I have parents who give their kids vapes um, because they would rather have them vape than smoke, as though they have to do one or the other. Yeah. Um, I hope this changes some of those attitudes. Um, I think. So one thing we have to kind of keep in mind is if you ask any adult smoker, 90%, nine out of 10 of them started by age 18. And then I believe like 95% by age 21 and 99% by age 26. So getting them started young is just promoting lifelong use of nicotine in one way or another. So we really have to, to stop that. Um, they should not be inhaling anything other than oxygen. Okay. okay. What about secondhand smoke from vape or jewel? Um, so when they've looked at the secondhand smoke, they do contain the heavy metal particles, the volatile organic compounds, um, and also some nicotine, um, but it does dissipate pretty quickly. And so there's not a lot of data out there about the effects of secondhand smoke. However, if you've gone to a vaping convention, you can actually even, they can get the amount of, of all those substances, not the carbon monoxide, but um, similar to combustible tobacco in a bar. So if you get enough in there, you can definitely get a lot of aerosolized substances that you shouldn't be inhaling. There's also something called thirdhand um, smoke where you have kind of those aerosolized particles landing on surfaces. And if you actually, you know, study the surfaces that it lands on, like your clothes or, or a table, um, you can actually detect um, some of these particles, all those, you know, again, the substances that we inhale or they inhale with the, um, the e-cigarette, you can actually detect that on these surfaces. So those should be cleaned as well so that no kid is licking, you know, anything off the table. Um, Okay. How can you defer these symptoms from COVID-19? Um, that's a really good question. So I haven't seen the lung disease associated with COVID-19 because I am only a pediatric pulmonologist, but what, from what I have read, um, it can be very similar. Um, there is definitely shortness of breath. Um, there's cough. Uh, you could have fever, of course night sweats, you could, I mean, maybe not the weight loss because it's pretty acute, the COVID-19 symptoms. Um, whereas with vaping, you can have um, kind of a prolonged process of, of weight loss, again, depending on what you're vaping. Um, with COVID-19 also, there's this um, phenomenon called silent hypoxia, where you don't know that you have low oxygen levels, but if you just put that thing on your finger, you have low oxygen levels. Um, again, I don't see this in, in children, but, um, but that is something that we have not seen in our Ovali cases. Usually you have a lot of symptoms. You have cough, shortness of breath, coughing up blood perhaps, 
and then you come into the hospital and they find that your oxygen levels are low. I'm going to do the chat. Why aren't they banning vaping smoke videos that are imposing it to be fun and they can do tricks with them? It's sad. That's why my son got interested. Yeah, those are definitely on, I know on YouTube. I haven't seen any on TikTok or anything. Um, I know they're trying to now be pretty good with social media and controlling, you know, things that could be harmful to the public for sure related to the pandemic, you know, if they don't like what they're seeing out there, they're, they're kind of uh, getting rid of videos like that. But um, I don't know, that's a, that is a good question. I know that there is also some um, commercials out there that even my son who's 12 years old has, he has heard um, about all the bad stuff related to vaping. So I'm hoping that that is combating all these videos um, that are promoting it or making it look appealing to, to kids. Do you think that some of the lung injuries are due to using regular vaping devices versus the ones that are designed to hold THC? My thoughts are that they heat at different temperatures. Yeah, there are different ways to kind of use these devices. You can, you can use high heat, you can use lower heat. Um, I, I've heard that it affects the taste also if you heat it too much. Um, you know, I that definitely can play a role. We don't know. We really don't know. Right now, the attention actually, you know, over the past six to 12 months, I guess it's almost 12 months now, um, is that, you know, maybe it was more related to vaping THC um, that the lung injury was associated with. But, um, but the long-term effects are kind of what we're also concerned about because to have developed such intense lung injury in a short period of time, you just wonder how how much how dangerous they'll be in the long term if you can just get that bad of a of a disease in the short term using it long term is is likely not safe i get a lot of adults uh, i get a lot of adults that vape because they believe secondhand vape is safer than secondhand smoke my understanding is that the expelled glycerol covers everything with a film that contains nicotine so yeah, um, kind of related to the, the third hand smoke, I guess, um, that, or yeah, third hand smoke that's related to e-cigarettes. It's, yeah, it can definitely coat sub, um, su uh, surfaces. Is there evidence that vaping devices do actually help smokers quit? Um, anecdotally, I'm sure there is, but when you kind of look at a meta-analysis or looking at a lot of studies, looking at the effects of using e-cigarettes to help with with quitting, um, it's kind of a wash. Um, it, it, it doesn't significantly increase your likelihood of, of quitting smoking, um, primarily because it may be hard to even titrate down the amount of nicotine that you're vaping. Um, again, the concentration with the jewel pods is, is set, so you really can't wean. Um, you're gonna get a high amount of nicotine with just a little bit of inhalation. Um, so it's, 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 it's not the best device, obviously, for, for quitting smoking. Um, but that's really all I can speak to because I, again, I do pediatrics, so I don't, which is another thing. Um, the fact that we don't really know well how to get people off of nicotine um, because we were really not supposed to, to, to see this. <laughs> we weren't supposed to have um, kids addicted to nicotine, and now we're kind of learning really quickly how to, how to treat them.
Is there a way we could do something proactive about the smoke trick videos petition or something in that realm? Yeah. I would think so. And I honestly have to look at the legislation that's out there. Um, we kind of have, so in 2019, Congress passed a bill that included regulation about um, e-cigarettes. So raising the age I mentioned to age 21, but also some marketing practices. The problem is, is that at the state and local level, um, they have to implement it as well. And so there's a little bit of independence from that standpoint. So as of this time period, a lot of the stuff that has been um, I would say passed in Congress is not necessarily passed in our state. Um, and so we're kind of working on that right now. Um, March 17, the Tobacco 21 bill, I believe passed the Senate Health Committee, but did not go to the full Senate. And again, um, with the pandemic, things have been put on hold and they're hoping to meet before the end of the year. So there's a lot of um, lag in terms of what's being done. Can you recommend anything we can provide our teenagers to read or watch relevant and is interesting to them to view regarding the dangers of vaping? There are definitely some, some there's information on for sure the CDC website. Um, I believe your choice also probably has some, some resources for us to give um, kids and teenagers about, about e-cigarettes, um, the American Heart Association, um, I'm trying to think of other websites that I've looked at that have had some nice graphics about e-cigarettes. Um, I'm also willing to talk to students about it. Um, I think I'd like to also hopefully create something that includes a patient or, or a student. They can talk to, you know, their peers about it um, just to kind of give some information from their standpoint. Um, about what has happened to them related to e-cigarettes. Um, do you see a lot of dual usage at all? Um, I'm going to have to ask exactly what you mean. Are you talking about nicotine and THC use? Um, or using, you know, vaping THC and smoking it? If you wouldn't mind um, clarifying your question, that would be great. Do you see that teens are being misdiagnosed with anxiety panic disorders when they're actually suffering from nicotine withdrawal? That's a really, really good question. Um, I think it's very hard to distinguish between the two for sure. The other problem is, is that a lot of teens are using these devices to sort of self-medicate. Um, there is a lot of anxiety and depression out there. And I feel like this is actually kind of a, a comorbid factor that affects the ability to quit because this is something they kind of have control over. If they feel bad, this might make them feel better. And so they may have an underlying anxiety or, or panic disorder that they're treating with the e-cigarette, um, but they could also be having withdrawal symptoms because they haven't had it over a period of time, like eight hours or 12 hours. Um, oh, sorry. So, okay, so yes, okay. So smoking, um, so smoking, I'm assuming THC and vaping THC versus, um, and smoking maybe 
cigarettes and um, vaping nicotine. So dual usage. You know, in general, in our, in our population, I would say most are just vaping, um, not using the combustibles. And I would say primarily because they don't like the way that smell or taste. They don't like how they can get caught too. It's really hard to hide that. I mean, back when I was in high school, I could smell, you know, my student or my, my classmate who just went out for a smoke and you can't really hide it. I'm like, just you're chewing gum, but I can still, I can still smell it. <laughs> so you gave yourself away. Um, but I would say mostly just e-cigarette use for the most part. When I teach, the most common comment I get from students is I didn't know and I like the facts. Be a reliable source and use science. Kids respect this. I agree. I agree. Um, I did give a talk to students and it was probably the scariest thing. Um, I love talking to families, to parents, to other physicians, to other medical providers, uh, just because they will accept everything I'm saying. Um, but students, especially ones who are vaping, um, they're ready to criticize and ready to not believe you. So I, I agree, kind of have to give them the facts and, and, and really show them sometimes these pictures that we're seeing of the lung injury. Thank you so much for the excellent information, Dr. Amos. Um, if you would like to see this presentation, watch it and see her PowerPoint, um, you can check it out at www.yourchoiceprevention.org backslash webinars. Thanks so much for listening.